Well, um, if you haven't been with us uh, or you haven't been uh, tracking with us, we've been talking about love and surrender and how love and surrender are the two attributes that define everything with him. Uh, he promises that he, he says, I am love. Um, I'm learning to play a song at the moment um, and it's all about him and love. And so he says, I am love. And then he says, will you surrender to me? Will you surrender to love? Will you give me all of you? Uh, I uh, I want all of your heart. I want all of your life. And as I was just in the cafe this week and just writing my book, and um, which is his book, um, and he's just told me to write down everything he's told me about and get it into written form so I can just hand it to people. As, uh, as he leads, these words penetrated my spirit. He said, um, he said, do I have to compete for people's hearts? Do I have to compete? He says, son, I'm competing. Should I have to compete? And I said, no, Lord, you shouldn't have to. He says, Greg, I'm competing. I have to compete with people, I have to compete with money, I have to compete with sport, I have to compete with passions, I have to compete with interest, I have to compete with everything else. And it just hit me like a stunned mullet. I almost started breaking down in the cafe, I thought that wouldn't have looked too cool. And I just want to encourage us all to surrender. Surrender everything in your heart. Take back your heart from every person, thing you've given it to and give it to him. It's such a high calling who he has called us to be and who he wants us to become. And I've seen it. He's shown it to me in the spirit. I've seen the bride. I've seen her. I've seen her with robes on. I've seen her in white suits. It's what he's calling you and I to be and become. These people that are wholeheartedly in love, wholeheartedly devoted, literally living for him. And that's why we have to surrender because to become these people, we have to surrender to him. We won't be these people if we have our hearts divided up into pieces. He just won't because where our treasure is, there our heart is found. And so what you truly love, you'll be found loving. If it's a sport, you'll be found there. If it's a person, you'll be found there. If it's God, you'll be found there. Because what he's calling you and I to be and become will require him to have all your heart. Because the cost is great. If we truly, guys, want to be a people that overcome and receive the overcomer's inheritance, the cost is much, but the reward is much. And we have an opportunity on this life to make the decisions that we need to make to receive that inheritance. 
And so it's almost like a dummy run. It's like your apprenticeship. It's like God is saying, I'm giving you an opportunity today, tomorrow, while I'm giving you breath, because there is a time to live and a time to die. And in the slot that you've been given in history on this earth, I'm looking, 1 Chronicles 16 or 2 Chronicles 16, the Lord looks to and fro for those who are wholeheartedly his. What for? Why? See, we know what we're about. We know how to go. What we lose is the why. Like, why? Why is the great commandment the great commandment? Why? Do we ever stop and ask ourselves, why? Because the answer behind the why is so powerful, it'll cause you to want to lose your heart and give it to him. And this whole thing called surrender is the key. Submission. But as we've been looking about, I don't want to die. But it's the process of life. And so I'm confronted with challenges every day. I'm confronted with a a decision every day. And, And throughout our lives, we're going to face constant T intersections where it's like left or right. Left follow God, right follow self. Choose him. Great. Then there'll be another T intersection. And a test after a test after a test after a test. You see, to have a testimony, you have to have a test. And it's the life that's birthed through the test that gives you the testimony, which the Bible says overcomes the enemy along with the blood of the Lamb. See, we're involved in a spiritual battle and a spiritual war, and it's for your souls and it's for your inheritance. And we need to wake up because if we don't even realize there's a battle going on for that, then we're lulled into a false sense of security and we're asleep to a war that's happening. And at the end of that, at some point, everyone's going to wake up and go, and we've lived a false fantasy reality and this other real world was happening right here. So Danny and I had the privilege to go to someone's house on Friday. It was an ex-colleague of hers, non-Christian, who were having interesting activity happening in their home. These people are not believers, but they know Danielle, and they know me through Danielle, and they invited us, would you come in to our house? And a door and a window is open to be able to share of a reality that exists that they're oblivious to. Do you know what? We can be just as oblivious to that reality as well. Completely asleep to it, yet it's happening. And it's through the surrendering of your will and the constant surrendering of your thoughts and your thinking to him that he then brings you into a realm that was existing, has always existed, but you didn't know it existed. And then he opens your eyes to a spiritual dimension that now you can see and because now you can see it, you can start living for it. Because you have sight to see. If you can't see it, you can't live for it. You don't go out and buy a car if you're not looking for a car. But as soon as you can open your eyes and you can see a reality in the spirit, because we're called to walk in the spirit, aren't we? We're not people of the flesh. We're not to be people of the flesh. The flesh is in opposition to the spirit, the Bible says. Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 2, go have a read. And yet if we're going to walk in the flesh, 
We will never become the people of the Spirit we're called to be. And love and submission are the keys to this. But to love him, to surrender, means to come to a place of weakness. And in the flesh, that is ridiculous. It's a ridiculous place. I'm not going to that place. That's for wusses. That's for people that need crutches. That's for people that can't cope because they don't know who they are. And God says, no, that's a position of strength. To come to that place when you think you're all it, to be lower to that place is the, where Christianity starts in a position of absolute weakness because you know you can't. And see, that seed needs to be ripped out of every human being if you want to come into who you truly are. You can't have two masters sitting on the throne. He will not share his glory with anybody. And he should not have to compete for our hearts. There's nothing wrong with having kids. There's nothing wrong with being married. There's nothing wrong with having a car. There's nothing wrong with having a house. There's nothing wrong with going on holiday. There's nothing wrong with having a job. There's nothing wrong with coaching kids soccer. But if those things are in my heart robbing him of his glory and his rightful place, there is something wrong with that. And he's screaming to us, you have an opportunity to have that rewired. Are you hearing and are you listening and are you going to submit and obey and do something about it? There will come a day when it is too late. That day is called death, physically. There is no promotion after the grave. I love what David Cracker said that. So are we going to submit and surrender to him and his ways? And here's the greatest challenge, and this is the last message, but it's not really the last message, but it is, but it isn't, in this whole love and surrender. Is this what I reckon the greatest challenges for us, or one of, is that how do you submit, obey, come under man slash woman's authority, while at the same time obey, submit, trust in him? How do you walk that tension out? Because we need to be able to. So throughout Scripture you can see this pattern that God puts people in a leadership role. He calls people to lead. He called Moses. He called Peter. He calls Paul. He called Ruth. He called people, men and women throughout history, and he will still call them and position them for functioning roles. And the Bible says that we are to come under those people. But that's risky. What if they hurt me? What if they lied to me? What if they spin me yarns? What if they don't really know the word? What if they don't really know you? What if they're all about themselves? What about if they're building their own kingdom? What about, what about, what about? What about, what about, what about? So this whole thing is full of risk and tension and dynamite and it's explosive. That's one side. Then he says, can you submit, honour and trust me? And how do we walk that out? Because in my 17 years so far with him, I tend to see two positions, two extremes. I tend to see people who treat man or woman like God, 
and put them up on a pedestal and they, they're untouchable. And leaders even create that culture. So there are leaders who love that and create that culture. They love to think, well, I am. I am the called chosen man of the Lord. I am the man of the Lord. And oh, yes, yes. And what he or she says, we believe without ever going to see if it lines up. It doesn't really matter what they say is truth. Why? Because they are the man or the woman of the Lord. And we believe that and that is dangerous. But then you have this other extreme over this side where it's like, I don't need man. I have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit teaches me all things. And I just need me and God and flag man. I'm not coming under anyone's authority. I'm going to do my own thing because I've got the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit teaches me and that's all I need. Thank you very much. You know, both positions are wrong and are dangerous, but that's where many people sit in the body of Christ. So how do we come in the middle and literally honour, trust and submit to both at the same time? But having that reality of trusting in God first define that of trusting a man. And how do you walk this out when your perception or the person might be getting it wrong? And how do you still do it? And I'm not saying this is easy, but this is possible to find this position, have this position in you, so then you're able to live it out. But it's not trying to find it through the flesh. It's not, Greg, give me a four-step plan so I can figure that out. Because there is principles and there is a way, but it's in the spirit. You'll never find it in the flesh. We keep asking fleshly questions. We keep asking for fleshly how-tos. And we don't have the ears to hear the spiritual how-to that's being spoken. Because it doesn't align with what we want it to be. Because the fleshly how-to is always looks for this thing that actually ends up puffing you up. The spiritual how-to will always kill your flesh. And that's why we don't like it. Now that's not how it happens. Give me the world's way. Because that's how we approach everything. Okay, there's the goal. I take the four steps to achieve the goal. And I get the goal in five years. Well done. And we take that mindset and we apply it into the kingdom and it gets us nowhere because it's a completely different how-to. And if we have the word in us, growing, maturing, being revealed more and more and more, who is the word? Christ, the hope of glory in you more, you will know how to walk this out. I've just given you your how-to. What sort of a how-to is that? The how-to. See, we look for all these strategies and we look for all these ways because that's what we've been taught. And yet it's so simple we miss it. But in the simplicity, it's so profound and deep because it's of the spirit we miss it. And when we say, oh, you're just using spiritual jargon. No, we're not. Do we actually know what the words actually mean? The word means. Because if we do, and it's in us, we'll be able to live it out. So I want to just quickly pick up where we, we left off when I said, Jesus asked his disciples, 
and the people that were around, who do you say that I am? See, there's a reason why he's asking those questions. So who do you say that I am? And the people answered, and he turned to his disciples and he said, who do you say I am? Just some questions. Why does Jesus ask these questions? What's Jesus looking for by asking these questions? Because he's always looking for a response, isn't he? He's always looking. What's your understanding? Where are you at? Do you really know me? Do you know who I am? You say you do, but do you really? What is Jesus hoping to hear in their responses? Because he's looking for something. He's looking for his people. He came to reconcile his people, didn't he? And he's coming looking for something. Not just people that made a commitment. He's coming looking for a particular people, a set-apart people, a people that know him, a people that are doing his will, a people that are doing his works, a people that are living for him. He's looking. He's constantly been looking and will constantly look throughout history because he has a particular purpose for these people that are wholeheartedly abandoned to him. So he's asking these questions and he continues to ask these questions. He's been asking massive questions of us over the last five, six years. And he's asking, are you looking? Are you taking an MRI scan of where you're at with me? Are you prepared to even go there? Are you prepared to be challenged by that? Are you prepared to look at your true state of heart? Are you prepared because I love you? I love you, I love you, I love you, and it's my love that empowers you able to look because you can't fall backwards because you're in me, but will you look? Because I'm looking for something. So he asks these crazy questions, and there's a whole lot of crazy answers that come. And he's looking for a conviction of heart. So he's looking for a true conviction of the heart. Because we can, we're good at this. I'm loved by you. I've been loved by you. I just don't know it. It's just not a reality. And God wants it to be. He wants our words and the conviction of our heart to align. It's not this feelingless God that you just sing into the, it's to come from within. And so this whole reality of who do you say I am exists right here. Who do you say you are to one another? Who really is Paul to Anne and Anne to Paul? Well, he's my wife and my husband. Really? Really? Is, is, that, is that all? Is that where it ends? Well, yeah. Really? What about the spiritual dimension? What about the gift on one of them that's for them? Why have we been brought together? Oh, just to have kids, have a nice life here. Really? Really? Is that it? 80 years on the planet and that's it? Have a bit of whippy and have some kids and go on holiday? Really? That's it. Take me now. So who am I to Danielle and Danielle to me? Who am I to Chris and Sandra and who are they to me? Who are you to, how are we to one another? Who do the people say that we are? Who do we say? Oh, I don't even know who they are. Oh, they've sat beside me the last five years, but I still don't know who they are. 
Oh, they got a gift that might be for us. Oh, well, who cares? Just living for me. We've got to come into this realm. There's a reality for us that we are so maturing in Christ because we're becoming these people who literally don't even touch the ground when they walk because they're surrendering to him and the system and his ways and how he builds his people because he's given everything he needs to build his church, but do we even know it exists? And it will start at love and surrender. And so... Here's the thought, this one thought, I'm sharing a whole lot of thoughts. We need to be able to trust man, but have our trust in God. We need to be able to trust man, but have our trust in God. Just come with me to uh, Exodus 20. And Jesus patterned the ability to do honoring, submitting, loving Man, woman, while at the same time doing the very same thing with his father. Exodus 20 verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. There's even a blessing attached to this principle. Here's the challenge with this. How do you honor your mum and your dad if your mum and dad haven't been the greatest mum and dad? If you've been abused as a child, how on earth do you honor your mum and dad if your mum and dad abused you, if they beat you? If they spoke death over you, you're joking, Greek. I'm not honouring them. I don't even want to be around them. And those are all true, real realities that can be in some of our lives. And the key to be able to do that and walk that out, because there's so many issues that can be related to that, but the, the real key is having the word in you. And you'll be able to, because the word in you will empower and will even define how you go about obeying that principle. There is really no human teaching that can say this is how this is going to happen. But if we have the word in us, not the words, okay? too many Christians have words in them, the words of the page, but not the word. And when the word is in you, and Paul said when it's forming, the Christ is being formed in you, you'll know how to live that out the way he wants you to because you'll have the wisdom of God within you. There's your how-to again. You might say, that's no how-to. Yes, it is. Seek him with all your heart and you'll find them and you'll find the ways of God, the wisdom of God to be able to live it out. But it's a supernatural thing. So here's a challenge for us. Because Jesus God is saying, honor your mother and father. There's a blessing attached to that. We, we, we can't really do it because of that. But there's, a, there's an outworking of that. 
So here we go. Jesus is confronted with a situation. So come with me to Luke 2. Luke 2, verses 30. I love this. There's, there's so much in here. And we see this as Jesus is being presented at the temple. And uh, he's going to be, uh, I'm just, is it Simeon, I think? Is it Simeon? Can't see. Simeon is, is the priest. And he says this, For my eyes have seen your salvation. This is when Jesus is brought in, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said. That's my boy. Imagine that. Man, really? Yep. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. Here's the kicker. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So here's a challenge right here for the parents and for Mary that actually this son who's going to upset people, this truth that's going to come and as truth grows, as the word grows, because he was and he is and all things have come through him. As this person grows, even your heart, mum, is going to be challenged with what comes out of his mouth. His very presence is going to challenge you, but you gave birth to him. And he's going to have to try and figure out, but he's going to know it because he is the word, how he honours you, but honours his father at the same time. And he's going to walk in this tension and demonstrate a tension of how to honour parents, but honour his father first. Through love and through submission. All right, so come across now to 41 to 52. Because we fast forward now, and he's 12 years old. And he's demonstrating a reality. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it, but supposed to be in the caravan and went a day's journey and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. You'd be pretty panicked, wouldn't you? Okay. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. He's 12, remember? When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be, had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. 
And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things though in her heart. See, Jesus is demonstrating, because he is the word, how to model this thing out. Ultimately, he was surrendered and knew his father's plan and purpose and knew his father. And he knew he had to be in his father's house sharing, bringing understanding, asking questions, challenging mindsets. Why? Because he came to bring truth and truth sets us free. His mum and dad turn up. They're a little bit upset, the fact that, yes, they've been looking for him and they love him and they're anxious. Where's he gone? It must be scary. But at the same time, see, there's a reality that I believe Christ is trying to bring them into because he says, didn't you know I needed to be in my father's house? Why are you so anxious? If you were in the word or kind of come into the word, maybe you wouldn't be as anxious as what you should be right now. Be still and know that I am God because I'm in control. So if you know my will and you know me and my word, you won't be as anxious because you know I'm supposed to be here. And maybe it's because you don't know the word and you don't know the will, that's why you're getting anxious. And I'm trying to live out a tension where I'm obeying my father and I'm obeying you. But ultimately one defines the other. But then he places himself into subjection to his parents by surrendering to his father. You see, love covers. He knows his mum and dad Really, at this stage, haven't got a clue. Haven't got a clue. They've heard the prophetic word. They got all excited in the flesh when they heard the prophetic word. Your boy, this son, is going to be bang, bang, bang. Yeah, awesome. And then the prophetic word starts to live out in their reality right in front of them. And, oh, man, it's a different story. No, no, I liked it when, it, when he was eight days old. Now he's 12 years. I'm not liking that prophetic word. Why? Because the prophetic word turned up on Malcolm's door and went, knock, knock. Hi, the word that was spoken has now come to true and it's going to penetrate your heart. Will you surrender to it? And Jesus is modeling this for us to show us. But it's the word in you that will enable us how to live this out. So we're not these people here that go put Chris on the pedestal and say, God, Chris is God. Look at the gifting. Look at the anointing. Look at the teaching gift. I'll bow down to Chris. Don't test anything Chris says because it must be right. Or we become these people. Who are like, flag Chris, he doesn't know nothing. He butchered that scripture last week when he said that. Man, he doesn't know jack. Look what I know. And I'm just being taught by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to live here. And you know what both of these positions do? They point the finger. Those people over there. Those people. And Chris is pointing the finger. Those people over there. You know what love does? Love grabs both those positions and pulls it into the middle. And says, we need to see this. You see, Jesus didn't run away from his parents. He ran to his parents. Love runs to, doesn't run away. Love doesn't sit on the outer pointing the finger. Even if it is dysfunctional, love never does that. See, love runs to. 
If we're running away, I'm going to suggest to you, you're not in him. Because he doesn't run away. When I messed up, he ran to me. When I said I would do this and do that and I didn't, he ran to me five times before this Muppet surrendered. So love never runs away, love runs too, even if love will be killed for what it's standing for. And that's our challenge, because we are to be able to demonstrate that. We're not to be these people, and we're not to be these people. We're to be him. And this is what he's showing you and demonstrating us. And what's fascinating with this, his mother took what she saw and an understanding that she didn't yet have, or let's say a reality that was being demonstrated. His spirit, I reckon, was like, and it says that here she uh, treasured all these things in her mind or heart. Mind or heart. In her heart, in her spirit. You see, when love is demonstrated, when this is walked out, people are a bit like, when we be these people, who are you, Tim? They can see it. They may not understand it, but it's living. And so this is this power, and he's demonstrating what? Honoring, fulfilling Exodus, honoring his parents, fulfilling that, and fulfilling the Father. Let's go to 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel 24, 1-22. Just while we're finding that, here's a, here's a key thought. We need to be able to obey, submit, honour, and trust man while at the same time obey God, putting our entire lives and our entire trust in the hands of the Father. We need to be able to trust man, but put our trust, uh, put, but not put our trust in man. Our trust must be in Christ. We need to be able to believe in man, but not put our belief in man. Our belief faith must be in Christ. This is the greatest test when it comes to love and surrender. And David is going to demonstrate something to us, which is, I just think, phenomenal and possible when Christ, when you know Christ and the word is operating in you. David spares Saul's life. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read it quite quick. Um, now, when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds on the way, on the way where, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, 
Behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Okay, just remember that. Excuse me. So this is very powerful, okay? The Lord has told him something. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. Saul's trying to kill David. This is the story, okay? 3,000 men he's got, and he's looking to kill this man. David's received the word. His men reminded him of the word. What would you have done? Would you just cut off a bit of his robe? What would have been in you that enables that? Let's continue. It gets better. Uh, his conscience bothered him. So he said to his men, <clears throat> Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men. Now it's just not a, something that's in him. He's now persuading his men to demonstrate another reality. Uh, with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave and went on his way. Remember his men were warriors, fighters. They weren't these placid little sort of, they were warriors. Now afterward David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul saying, My Lord the King. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the ground and prostrated himself. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men? Saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you. Behold the days... Behold this day, your eyes have seen that the Lord had given you today into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now, my father, see, indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. Know and perceive that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands, and I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog, a single flea. The Lord therefore be judge and decide between you and me. And may he see and plead my case and deliver me from your hand. When David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? Then Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I. For you have dealt well with me, while I have dealt wickedly with you. You have declared today that you have done good to me, that the Lord delivered me into your hand, and yet you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? May the Lord therefore reward you with a good return for what you have done to me this day. Now behold, I know that you will surely be king, 
and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. So now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's household. David swore to Saul. What sort of a man is David? And what's in David or who is in David that enables David to demonstrate a reality that Christ would demonstrate? Saul has the cheek. If anyone has cheek, it's Saul right there at the end, isn't it? Oh, sorry that I came to kill you today. Thanks for not killing me. But do you think you can still remember my family? And David says, yes. What sort of a person is able to demonstrate love and surrender to the father, not touching the man who's trying to kill him and still calls the man who's trying to kill him father and Lord, someone who knows the word in them and can actually demonstrate a reality, the same reality that Stephen demonstrated. Father, forgive them as they're stoning me to death. Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. You and I have been called and chosen to be able to demonstrate that. See, it goes way beyond Jesus just dying for my sin. Way, way, way. But too many people still living there. Too many Christians are living at the cross, not through the cross. And Paul preaches, I'm moving towards a high calling. And then Paul says, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So Paul is an apostolic figure. He is a church. He is a picture of a church, a people. And he's saying, imitate me as I imitate the Christ. And you see these people throughout the scriptures, throughout everywhere. They're living, they seem to be living for a higher order. They, they, these people in Acts are giving away positions. They are, there's no need. But what we do is we focus on the outcome, so then we start giving away homes, but we don't have the heart change. And then we give away our home and it doesn't work out. Then we get all upset because, no, no, what you missed the whole point of the whole thing. It wasn't about giving away a house. It was about seeing the heart of the people. And the people had the word in them that they were able to. That was just an outcome. We chase all the outcomes and what we don't chase is the word and having the word in us so then we can't live it out. We chase the words of Christ but not the word. I'm going to unpack this as we go on. The words of Christ will not set you free. It's the word that makes you free. It's the word that sits behind the words and we need to come into the life of the words, which is the word. Faith is, faith basically gets birthed at a person's ability to hear the word of Christ. 
So think about it. If you, if you're hearing the word of Christ and you have ears to hear, faith will be birthed within you and you will live from faith. And so we have to wrestle. And that's what we've been on this journey of to actually come to truly understand him and him in and him being formed in. So then we are able to demonstrate him. And his bride will love like him. Does that make sense? It's, it's, it's the greatest story ever written. Hollywood should write it. It's truly phenomenal. But here's the key, and this is where I'll wrap it up, and I've, I've gone a bit over time, but to truly be able to live this out, so to truly live out Jesus' position, to truly be able to live out David's position, the Bible says before honor comes humility. So before you can ever honor anyone, before you can ever surrender, before you can ever submit, before you, whether it's God or person, there needs to be a work done of humility. That's why blessed are the poor in spirit is the first beatitude on the Sermon of the Great Mount. See, that's got nothing to do with saving lost people, nothing to do with prophecy, nothing to do with external works, but everything to do with a spiritual dimension in a person. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those that have surrendered and by the power of the word have been propelled into a spiritual reality within them where they're able to now live out that humility, which means they will honor both. Does that make sense? Listen to the scriptures. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. But humility goes before honor. Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor comes humility. Proverbs 22.4, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Proverbs 29.23, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. Spiritual humility is birthed in us when we receive the word. And it's the receiving of the word that enables us to live this position of trust, obedience, submission, and honor to man and God simultaneously at the same time. It's having the literal life of Christ formed in us through the receiving of the word, and the word enables and empowers this demonstration. And this is the journey we're on as a community. I've got I've written pages on transform through the word, not the words of Christ. And we have to go deeper than just the ink on the page and try and understand it intellectually and think we know him. That's flesh. We have to dive into him. May the word of God richly dwell within you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. May the word dwell within you. Abide in me and I'll abide in you and you'll bear much fruit. Father, I thank you. And I thank you, Lord, that you are so passionate 
about us understanding you and you, you are, and your ways, and they be in us, Lord. So we are able and capable to demonstrate and walk in the manner in which you walked, which 1 John 2, 6 talks on. That we would know you, Father, so profoundly for who you are in us, and that would be formed in us, and we just believe in Galatians 4.19 when Paul said, I'm in labor again. Again, I'm in labor. Again, I wrestle that you Galatians would have Christ formed in you. I'm contending for you, wrestling for you, declaring a reality to you Galatians that is for you, that the Christ would be formed in you. Rivers of living water, he is the water, would be formed and gushing forth from everyone's spirit. And Lord, that is an upward call. And so, Lord, we just surrender today. We put all our mindsets that aren't aligned to you out the door. And we say, speak, reveal, lead and guide us into you. Truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.